This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untap holding on. What a win. Untap from the Harrison Sandium Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. A hundred to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the code. And a very good morning to you on this beautiful day in Melbourne. What a huge day and night of racing we have ahead of us across all three codes. And like every Saturday morning in this new time slot, everyone has been saying, gee, guys, love the show. And I said, it's not a new show, but this new time slot has really drawn some attention as I welcome in Matt Stewart and Dan Malecki for Cracking the Codes. Good morning, guys. Good morning. User-friendly time, Dan, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) Simone's looking a lot more respectable now that she's had a chance to have a little sleep. (laughs) She's much happier at 10 o'clock than she is. Yeah, that's why we moved. The time it's unmanageable at 6 a.m. Hey, um, first thing I want to mention is what a great um, uh, wraparound in the paper today, the Herald Sun of the the theme of the Inter Dominion tonight, guys, and that is uh, the, the the female wave that that has swept through harness racing in the last 20 years, and it's just uh, totally epitomised by Inter Dominion final night tonight. Belinda McCarthy, Emma Stewart, and Jess Tubbs. I knew Jess when she was a baby. Um, and they are the dominant figures in the, uh, in the Inter-Dominion tonight. So, uh, you know, amazing story there. And we're going to work on that yeah, theme a bit this morning, aren't we? With right. Rick Graham we'll be- and then Jody Quinlan, one of the great trailblazers, uh, a little bit later on, closer to, closer to midday. But, um, I think this wraparound sums up the, the massive theme of the Inter-Dominion series, and that is, uh, girl power. Yeah, no doubt about that. Of the 13 horses that made the final, which included the emergency at the time, 11 of the 13 trained by females. All nine pacing heats, extraordinarily when you think about it, were trained by females. Emma Stewart trained seven of them, Jess Tubbs and Belinda McCarthy as well. It's, it really is extraordinary. Uh, but the girl power is not just as trainers yoking up the horses, uh, best known for the, the talent that is in the sulky. And you've got Kate Gath, mm. Jodie Quinlan, Karen Manning, all with you know, chances to win big races. Group ones tonight, the two Inter Dominions. And Simone, it, it predates the emergence of the superstar females in racing as well, like the Jamie Cars and Michelle Pones. Like you go back a decade before that and you had Karen Manning, uh, carving out her legendary career and, uh, and so on. So I think it's, um, an amazing reflection on the three codes, uh, other than apart from any other sport where everyone's on the same playing field in greyhound racing, harness racing and gallops. There's no distinction between the podiums that the males and the females stand on if they if they're victorious. So, actually, we're going to talk to the next Jamie Carr too this morning a little bit later. Alana Kelly in the eleven to twelve. She uh, she wrote a winner that I backed yesterday, so that was good enough to get her on today. And I love Alana Kelly, and she's a superstar. Well, so she's, she's written gonna... a winner for me before. Hello, broadcast. She rode on on the wet track at, at Sandown there. Up the rails. So she's in she's my a good freak books. up the rails. Yeah. No, she's in our good books. So she's got a massive book of rides at Sandown today. So. And, and yeah. also, I just wanted to mention um, yesterday that there's obviously the Pony Trot into Dominion tonight. Dan, three races three. for, the, for yeah. the Minis, the Shetlands and the Ponies. So they're all um, graded on their heights or in their respective races on heights. There's children from New Zealand interstate, which is wonderful. And yesterday, uh, Jenny Lewis and Kima Frenning, they've just been outstanding, those two girls. And obviously, HRV have been very supportive and Mitervite High Gain as well. Um, put on a day for the kids and the parents. So we went out to Yabby Dam Farms. Um, some people caught the bus from Melton. Yabby Dam Farms looked through the breeding units and beautiful little foals on the ground. And I must say, all those mares out there, they are in such good condition. There's a lot of grass around, but, you know, we're talking the best of the best here and um, looking amazing and the facilities there. And then we had we chatted to Anton Galino. Um, he showed us around the racing complex there, the stabling area, and, you know, just someone cleaning the gear and you've got the farrier there and everything's just very clean and really good for people to see. And then we the kids went to a trampoline place just in Ballarat before heading to the Ballarat track for a, a dinner, a celebratory dinner and, um, wow. yeah, it was, and, and you would think the kids would be worn out, but they're actually racing around the track and mixing and mingling and it's, it's really lovely that they could all just get along and engage together and our little pony obviously didn't make it down with Darcy this year, but, um, he is going to be in tonight as a, a pony that, a, boy from New Zealand's going to be driving so we went out to Jody Quinlan's during the week and he had a drive of him so 
I don't know how competitive he's going to be. We've heard that the New South Wales kids are very, very highly oh, you're tuned. The last the uh, Into the Minion, <laughs> which was 2018, Tiger Tara one, obviously, but they had the pony Into the Minion as well. I am dead set. I've never... They're the best pony trotters I've ever seen, and I almost feel confident in saying the horse, the pony that won the pony trot would have won the MO. It, it would have matched courage under fire. It Is was, that right? it was extraordinary how good the first horse was and how good the second horse was. And in a one lap race, they nearly lapped the others. I, I've the best trot. I think it was, um, Lauren Pinella's sister it might have been Grace Pinella that drove the winner. It was, it was a jet. It was Captain Ravishing of the pony trot scene. Well, there you go. Uh, Hey, um, just something you mentioned before, Simone, about how good the horses are looking at the moment with the pasture uh, still there, but the sunshine. I was at the, the Cranbourne night meeting last night, and we had old Mel Destro in who ran his usual honourable race. Uh, the horses are looking absolutely gorgeous at the moment, and, and you mentioned Tiger Tara. Tiger Tara under lights, he was black, basically dark brown black, wasn't he, Tiger Tara? And I remember looking at him flash past me under lights with his summer coat um, when he won the Inter-Dominion final out there a few years ago. and He looked absolutely amazing. I reckon the Greyhounds tonight at the Silver Chief will be looking at their physical best as well, and even Sandown today. No horse, Greyhound or Trotter looks better than they do at this time of year. Yeah, that's so, true. And yeah. with the sun out, I mean, mm. Sandown is a beautiful racetrack. When the sun's out like this, it actually reminds me of the day the Underwood was held there. It was a beautiful day. It's a wonderful venue. It's, mm. it's probably my favourite track, maybe, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, Melton tonight, terrific. And Silver Chief. We're talking about time-honoured races. Yeah. So our guests uh, this morning revolve around some key events. Brittany Graham, Lenny Baker will talk about Melbourne into the Minions. Uh, but we'll also talk with Serge uh, Bocelli about his win in 2012 with, with Godsend uh, a little bit later on. And Steve Moran's going to join us about the, the massive day. It's actually my favourite race day of the year, the Hong Kong International Day, which is tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So Steve, Steve was late in life to world touring. He got married early and had his kids and all that sort of stuff. And he didn't div- discover the rest of the world till he was into his forties, I don't think. But then he became, he caught up quickly and became a massive traveler and went everywhere. And so he's been going to Hong Kong for about 20 years now. So interesting to have a chat to him, not just about the Hong Kong races, but Hong Kong racing in general and how the, you know, the post COVID vibe is over there and they're still masking up, but they had 11,000 at Happy Valley on Wednesday. So, well, there was a few, <laughs> Yeah, the, the COVID situation changed things around, didn't it? As far as the Hong Kong uh, Jockeys International uh, challenge, everyone there. was getting COVID. Yeah, all the yeah. jockeys. Yeah. yeah, so just the just the current state of play over there, and he can also look ahead to uh, Golden Sixty, the Japanese Wave, Lucky Swainess, and all the others uh, running tomorrow. And I'm a bit with you. This is Wine Shop Dave, who's quite a character known to listeners here. He he doesn't get off his bum to do much at all in life, Wine Shop Dave. But he said to me the other day, we better organise a barbecue for the Hong Kong races. And I thought, they must be big if Dave's going <laughs> to actually crank up the Weber. So, what are you yeah. taking, a salad or a sweet? Dessert. Dessert? I usually just take myself. Oh, I think I'm a gift. A gift. Yeah. If I go, will I get my wine that I've been promised for the last four years? There's a bottle on my desk that I got from someone said so to keep your I see dirty mitts off. A, a re-gifter. <laughs> well, only if you know it's a re-gift, then it's not a re-gift. Well, we do know it's true. a... We saw now you we open do. it. It's so. about a 40 bucker, so you want to take it. You're not going to get the other one. Uh, carnivals continue in uh, uh, WA uh, today, uh, but also Queensland. Uh, this is a really good time of the year for Queensland racing as well. So uh, a little bit later on uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk to, to Ben Thompson as well. And the carryover to that is mm. uh, family have got, again, I think going for the record of Silver Chief wins, Simone. Um, Jason is aiming for his sixth Silver Chief win tonight with Triumph, who is owned by Serge Bacilli, one of our guests today. And his wife, Shona, has won one. So they've really had a stranglehold on this series for many, many years. And it's the Silver Chief is for young male greyhounds. So an age-restricted event. So often these greyhounds are the ones. That it was like the Derby. They referred to it as the do, Derby. They do. Yeah, they forge a career and um, head on and you know become stud dogs. One interesting thing. Um, there's been you know people listening to this show that uh, say to me, I'm learning so much about greyhounds. And one question that I do get asked from time to time is. Like with your, your gal, the stallions, because the colts, because they might be getting a little bit over the top. And I ask if you do basically the same with the dogs, which the answer is no, because 
they don't have they're different to horses in that sense you know haven't got a 600 kilo animal that's getting a bit bullish or um, towy and all of that (laughs) so um so anyone who does wonder whether we desex the greyhounds before they start racing or in their career no then they're not it's um something that hopefully they go on to have a stud career which tonight we might see an emerging I'm sure there will be a couple out of tonight's field that will head on to a stud career later in life. For some reason, that reminded me of a doco I watched about a week ago on YouTube of, you know, when animals become really dangerous and you don't know why, uh, elephants in musk. Have you heard of oh, that? Oh, yeah. yeah. When they sort of get that drippy thing down the side <laughs> of their neck, the male <laughs> yes. ones, and then uh, that's when you know they're going to go absolutely ape. Oh. So, yeah. Hey, um, $1.5 million um, gold rush at Ascot today as well. Uh, the old mate, Kementari, he won it when it was the Scale last year. I think there was a veterinary test required for Valana this morning, the other Godolphin runner. We might get Rob to just double check to see if that's, uh, uh, still exists, whether Valana, who's the favourite, needs a, some sort of clearance this morning. I read something yesterday, so we'll get you all the information on that. And this $2 million race in Sydney today, extraordinary. The Ingham, formerly the Villiers. Mm. Yeah, big money for a group two. Winner, winner. Chicken, chicken dinner yeah, there. Yeah, and there's been some other big dog races too. The Dapto Megastar. You have to ask Whitney about that. I think she had a share in the winner of the Group 1 Dapto Megastar on Thursday night. There was a lot of people had a very tiny share in the Greyhound, and I, I think she is one of them. Well, let's um, find out. Oh. Brittany Graham's joined us now. Are, are you, are you uh, looking at the, the grass on the other side of the fence with the Greyhounds, Britt? Yeah, morning, guys. Uh, it has been a big week. I have been involved in harness racing for, what, 27 years now and haven't managed to, to uh, grab a Group 1 winner there yet. But I picked up a share in good old Zemmer on Monday and she won a Group 1 on Thursday. So how easy is that? Unbelievable. And you were dreaming you'd win a Group 1 this week but thinking you might be at Melton tonight and you've taken out one of the Greyhounds a couple of days. That's amazing. Hopefully I haven't used up all my luck this week. <laughs> oh, well, some people would say to you, Brittany, you can only go one way from here. <laughs> Let's hope it's in the, the upwards direction. <laughs> That's it. Hopefully it's a fairy tale week, right? Oh, I think uh, the fairy tale last week, um, anyone that was watching Trot's Vision, you provide us with a, with a magic moment. It was a magic moment uh, to see that emotion. I know we've touched on it a couple of times, uh, Brett, but um, I, I think you've got a whole new band of uh, extra followers. You were popular enough already, but you've just surged through the roof after that. You've got so many people from the sentimental value that want to support you. And look... Um, at that moment when you were advised, remember you're in the stewards' room thinking this one point could be the difference between me getting into the grand final and not. Um, your emotions would have been supercharged, and then to find out you were actually in a dream to drive, not just in a Group One, but in the Inter Dominion Trotters final, and it was just amazing. Couple of minutes. Yeah, I was actually a little bit embarrassed when the tears started rolling down my face, as you probably would be if you cry on a on a stream for everybody to see. But sort of the more the week goes on, uh, it's just, yeah, it's been quite incredible. But as you mentioned, I think it was just all the heightened emotions of the last fortnight. You know, it had been uh, a big trip to get down here. I've been juggling, uh, working the horse and, and also my work commitments with Sky. We'd obviously been here, there and everywhere during the week. Ballarat, Shepparton, Geelong. So uh, we are probably just a little bit emotionally and physically drained as well. And I went into the stewards' room um, you know, game face on, knowing that I, I had to try and do my best to uh, hopefully find myself a, a position further after the interference that was caused. And, yeah, it was just sort of between putting the case forward and hearing the result that uh, Jason Bonington mentioned to me that, um, you know, we were there no matter the result. And it sort of came from nowhere. I, I wasn't feeling emotional at all. And then in an instant, um, it sort of all washed over me. And uh, that was the end. The tap was turned on after that. <laughs> so I was... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a bit beside myself, but um, yeah, I, I guess it's just proof, you know, I hadn't been involved in an Inter-Dominion before, I'd known all my life that I would have loved to have been, and uh, in that moment, we went from not being there, in my mind, I was of the opinion, I was actually listening to you, Dan, in the back straight when we were pulling up, and I was hoping that I'd hung on to fourth, and you said one, and uh, I think I said bugger or something along <laughs> those lines, probably a little worse than that, and I thought, well, sort of that's the, the dream slip has slipped through the fingers and it's been, you know, a nose margin. And then to find out that that wasn't the case, uh, yeah, it was just uh, pretty amazing. People have said worse things to Dan than that. Britt, don't worry about that. <laughs> hey, um, I'll ask you, Dan, this question, and it relates to all three codes as well, looking at guys like George Ferrugia and, and Simone, who's had skin in the game and, and has actually trained them as well as 
commentated on them. Like someone like Brittany, like you and I can speculate all we like about you know, getting out of three-back defence and, and, and the nuances of, of a race and so on. But when someone like Brittany drives them and then can bring that to the commentary as well, it's in, it's invaluable, isn't it? We're trying to, in racing, get find the right jockey or ex-jockey to be yeah. the expert commentator, but there's nothing more important than someone who knows what to, knows about what you're talking about. Oh, no doubt. And we touched on it last week when I, I talked about potential to have some white line fever. And from my perspective, Brittany uh, does not fear anything. When she gets out onto that track, uh, I'm amazed what she's prepared to do. And uh, it's like a footballer putting their body on the line. You're fitting into tiny little gaps there, Britt. There's no doubt that you are earning your respect on the track. And you've got experience. You've got terrific experience. You're up to about 298 wins, I think, at the moment. But um, you're not afraid to have a crack. And that's what I think I love about her in particular. But everyone does. Uh, that, that no fear, that willingness to want to be a challenger, put herself into the race and, and make it exciting. And she did that the other night on the track. She's done it. There was one night there I thought, oh, oh this is going to be tight. The first turn at Ballarat last week, Brett. Um, the week before last. But in the stewards' room, I, I sent you a message, didn't I? I said, you reminded me like Miss Marple or, or Nancy Drew, just the lengths that you went to, like the female Perry Mason. Did you did you put a bit of mayo on it, uh, Britt, or uh, how did you handle yourself in the stewards' room? Oh, well, you've got to go in there confident and you've got to put your case forward. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd had a quick look at the replay and then I watched it a few more times and sort of uh, built a case around why I, why I thought uh, we uh, had copped enough interference to reverse the placings. Obviously, the stewards didn't feel that way. And, um, you know, in stewards' inquiries, they have to be, you know, beyond... Uh, they have to be so certain that should that uh, interference have not occurred that the result would have been different. So they've got a job to do. And uh, I sort of had a chat to Josh Duggan afterwards, and he was of the opinion that he probably would have done the same in the same scenario. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of part of racing. You've got to be confident in what you're doing. And and it was sort of the case pre-race as well after Shepparton um, on the second night. I'd been a little disappointed with the result. And, and then I looked at the field and, and the barrier drawer and I saw that we'd drawn seven again. And I was shattered on the way home on Tuesday night driving home at uh, past midnight. And as the week went on, I sort of looked over the race a little more and I thought, well, we can't have come this far just to come this far. You know, we have to roll the dice there last Saturday evening. And the only way I thought that we were going to do enough to snag points to qualify was to fire off the armour and see if we could get to the front. If we didn't get there, we were in a world of hurt. And if we did, we had a chance. And uh, luckily, Harry was able to burn across and find his way to the front. And uh, from there on out, we were sort of just right in the bunch. Uh, Majestuoso cleared out. And between second, third, fourth and fifth, there was probably only half a length. And unfortunately for us, we came out on the worst end of that in fifth. But uh, luckily for us, it was enough. Um, sounds like you can turn the waterworks on pretty easily. That might help in a steward's inquiry too. You can just sort of spontaneously produce a trickle down the, down the cheek. What about tonight, uh, with Majestic Harry? 100 to 1. Should our listeners slash punters, uh, have a little something on you in first fours or something perhaps? Oh, I'd love to hope so. Uh, as my dad said to me, you've been 101 right throughout the heats and you've somehow managed to qualify. So why can't you go out and, and run a big race tonight and, um, from the horse's perspective, I, I can't be any happier with him. He's probably in the last four or five days really turned a corner. It's been uh, a bit of baptism of fire for him coming down here. He had to truck down, and then the weather hasn't probably been uh, too kind on his on his um, soft Queensland skin, I'd say. But, um, yeah, the last five days he's just bloomed, and he's come through those three runs magnificently well. Actually, just took him out and gave him a jog for a, for a few laps, and... He had a new trick. He was striking the air when he went out on the track. So I'm hoping that means that he's at his absolute best. And the barrier draw could have been better, but it also could have been a lot worse. And I guess the positives out of the barrier draw are that he's drawn the second row. And as much as he's got brilliant gate speed, uh, when you use it, you're definitely draining the tank at the other end of the race. So uh, we're going to get a nice economical run there somewhere. And uh, stranger things have happened. We're daring the dream. My sister told me uh, this week she keeps dreaming that he wins. So I hope that she's onto something there. Well, I hope you, you haven't used up all your Group 1 luck with the Greyhounds on Thursday night. Um, excuse my ignorance, but uh, have you driven or how many times have you driven at Melton before, Britt? Uh, I think I've had two drives there in the past. I was on a, a junior driver's trip and we came down, and um, but that was going back, you know, 
probably six or seven years ago now, quite early on in my career. So it's been a little while. Uh, lucky I've been there on a few occasions to work and I've got a little bit of a lay of the land. But um, this is, yeah, by far and away my uh, biggest night at, at a race truck. I've driven in one Group 1 before and we ran third, I think. So, uh, yeah, I haven't got a lot of Group 1 experience, but hopefully I'm making up uh, for it in, in preparation and, and uh, you know, hoping to, to do our very best out there anyway. Well, you're building up that Group 1 profile. We've enjoyed the ride, uh, and uh, I hope it uh, gives you a, a massive thrill, and I hope you've enjoyed the week and the night. We've got Queensland weather for you, so you shouldn't be complaining. Uh, exactly right. No, thank you very much for the support, and it's been an incredible week to be a part of. No nerves just yet. I'm sure they'll probably pick in a little later on, but we're just super proud to be there, and uh, it's been an amazing experience. And thanks for being able to be available to us on a number of occasions over the last two weeks, uh, Brittany. We look forward to uh, uh, your work again on Sky Racing tonight. Good luck on all platforms. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Good on you, Britt. Just quickly, Dan, before we take a break, what do you make of this Trotters final? Um, Britt's Majestic Harry's 100 to 1, drawn 10. Uh, gee, Queen Elida is, uh, is the even money favourite. Is that is that about right? Yeah, look, I think the four horses that are in the market, the four in single figures, it'd be, it'd be a big shock if one of those four didn't win, and there's not a lot between them. I tip Just Believe, the 12, but as I said, I don't think there's much between them. Just Believe was placed in it last year in Sydney, uh, and he's clearly going, I'd say, at least three links better, maybe even more than that. So uh, I think you'll go around at respectable odds. Mufasa Metro probably leads. Majestuoso's got the gate speed to test him. Queen Elite has got the gates, the, got the sprint. She she can produce a massive burst. Might end up behind the leader. Uh, it's a terrific race. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's twenty six minutes past ten. We're going to take a break and come back with Lenny Baker. Welcome back to uh, Cracking the Codes, uh, Matt Stewart, uh, who's right on time. No five minutes late for you, my friend. Uh, Len Baker is going to join us now uh, to talk about uh, Melbourne Inter Dominion, of course, and the great history we've got. And uh, pretty proud to have it back in the Big V. Uh, Lenny, thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. Good morning, Dan. Lovely to be with you once again. And good morning to Simone and Matt. Well, we've had Inter Dominions at the showgrounds, you know, considered perhaps the Halcyon days as it transferred over to, to Mooney Valley and, and now Melton. So three Victorian venues over the years. What are some of the, the standouts and highlights for you? Oh, it absolutely is, Len. Look, I, I think when you go through them, there's been a, a number of highlights, and, and, and one of them would be uh, Pro Chevalier's 1985 uh, Inter Dominion at Mooney Valley, mainly for the reason was the massive crowd that that attended that night. I mean, they, they had to close the gates and, and people went round to the car park at the back of the course, you know, right at the course, and jumped the fence and everything else and got in. It was just absolutely massive. And, and of course, the drama that involved around that with, with Prejavalier having to undergo a veterinary test because he had severe colic, and uh, it was only within probably 30 to 45 minutes before the big race that he was allowed or given the all clear to start. Lenny, what were the magic ingredients that made that the biggest crowd that's ever attended Mooney Valley, whether it be for Winks or Waverley Star Bone Crusher or Pro Chevalier? I know crowds were bigger back then and I know Mooney Valley was close to town, but it was by far and away the biggest. What what was it particularly about that oh, 1985 into the... Because the... mainly it was a, a beautiful night. Uh, the height leading into the race was very big as well. But but you're quite right in saying that because the first end of the Minion at Mooney Valley was back in 1978 when Mark Avita was successful. And even though they drew a big crowd that night, it was nothing like Brasier Valley's. I remember being there in both those, and um, I, I, I made the comment, I think I know what a sardine feels like. But it's, it's uh, like sometimes you get a freak occurrence that these little things come together and everyone cottons onto a theme and, and, and then everyone turns up. I think there was an element of that to it because it did rise above similar crowds of the similar era, didn't it? So, oh, no doubt. Yeah. At Mooney Valley. Mooney Valley was still fresh at that time. Uh, when Mark Avina won, we were still racing at the showgrounds, you know, less and less as each week went on, uh, Lenny, but uh, it was still a part of the racing scene. When it come around to Pro Valley, it was all Mooney Valley by then. Yeah, well, of course, as you said, they did race at the showgrounds. Once a month, they used to race at the showgrounds when they were racing at Mooney Valley. Len, do you still get the same kick out of the Inter-Dominion and these big races these days when you've got so many memories and you're talking about 
events that we'll never probably experience again, like the Pro Chevalier one with the crowd. Um, does it still excite you as much these days? It does, Simone. I, I was uh, infatuated by the Inter Dominion. Um, I've seen every one at the, uh, in Melbourne except the first one. I was a bit young for that, but I've seen every one since, and, and it just sort of grabbed me, and it's grabbed me ever since. And, and look, I think it's the greatest race on the Australasian calendar. I know that it's dropped in in value uh, these days, and and the interest just isn't there by the young people because they probably don't even understand what it is. But but to me. It's the race, and it always will be the race. Neil Donnelly's just texted me in, and now it refreshes my memory about the factors that contributed to that massive 1985. It was sponsored by the Big Five. Neil says, The Sun, The Herald, 3EZ, Channel 7, and The Sporting Globe. And back then, the reach of those publications was like a tsunami. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, and it was pre-internet, um, uh, and at that stage, there was no night football, pretty much. I mean, the spotlight was really on the harness racing on a Saturday night. 1992, one of the best horses, one of our favourites, Westburn Grant took it out. Westburn Grant, is going well in front. He's held together by two metres to Blossom Lady. Master Musician pulls to the outside from Cresto Vance. He goes to Westburn Grant at the 150. He's still four metres in front. Cresto Vance from well back is making ground. Franco Tiger getting out by the ground. Grand Circuit champion Westburn Grant in front. He wins the Inter Dominion. Westburn Grant wins by two metres to Franco Tiger. Maybe At the back end of lady. his career, pretty much Westburn Grant. He'd started favourite in Inter Dominions before, hadn't quite got there. And uh, this was uh, this was a big moment for Vic Frost and the connections because everything didn't quite work out well for him in the lead-up either, Len. No, well, uh, that was another year where controversy certainly was to the to the fore because um, the, the HRV or the Trotting Control Board, as it was then, I think, um, uh, had to pre-test all the horses and do veterinary tests, but but not on Westburn Grant. He disappeared and he couldn't be found. Um, Chief Steward at the time, the late Rod Osmond, tried every avenue he could to get in touch with Vic Frost. He couldn't be located. He went everywhere looking, asking people where Vic Frost was. He couldn't get an answer, and it ended up, he was down in, in, in Western Port Bay, uh, at a beach in Western Port Bay where they had no telephone contact, no nothing. And for that reason, they just couldn't get Westburn Grant, but it all worked out well for him in the end. And uh, we had the first million dollar in the Dominion with uh, Shaker Maker winning, then Blacks are Fake, of course. He's third of four back in 2008, and most recently Tiger Tara. So, And that was, of course, the first one at Melton. The second one is going to be tonight. And what a race tonight it will be, Dan. I, I, I can't come up with the winner outright. I just can't. I, I think it's the most open inter dominion I have ever, ever seen. And, and um, you know, I don't know what the result's going to be. And, and I'm sure a lot of other people don't. No, it's going to be very exciting. Lenny, thanks for reliving some magic moments in the history of our famous uh, inter dominion in Victoria. And hope you have a great night too. And you too, Dan. I'm sure your calls will be... Uh, Absolutely excellent. Thanks, Lenny. Lenny Baker there. One of the most famous in the Dominions, as we go to the break, is 1963, Cardigan Bay at Waveville. And there was this massive fall at the 300. Cardigan Bay off a long handicap, coming back from injury where he broke down the year before. What a champion horse. Going up towards the home turn of Waitaki, Hanover still the leader. Cardigan Bay putting in his claim on the outside now. In the centre, dropping back a little now. Oh, and the Raider came down there and interfered and settled on us. Caps going in all directions, but around the home turn. And Cardigan Bay, the leader from Waitaki, Hanover on the inside. And Cardigan Bay won the money. Cardigan Bay has won the money from Dusty Miller, who flew home on the outside. Waitaki, Hanover third, followed then by Dinai. Next over the line, then was uh, Columbus. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the Codes. 23 minutes to 11 on Cracking the Codes. I tell you, a much-travelled man who's been champing at the bit for a few years to get back to Hong Kong through COVID is Steve Moran, and he's finally been released, and he's uh, over there, and the big day's tomorrow. And it's uh, to me, it's the three or four signature Hong Kong horses versus the wave of Japanese, and it's going to be a... Either a reality check for the locals or it's going to be a spectacular day of success and Steve's going to be there monitoring the whole thing. How are you, Steve? Certainly will. Morning, Matt, Dan and Simone. Yeah, it's great to be back in Hong Kong. You used the word released. Um, <laughs> it's been interesting, of course, because there's still a lot of COVID contingencies here and you've got to 
PCR test on arrival and then PCR test on the first two days of being here. And up until that point, you don't get the blue code on your app on the phone, which means you can't enter a bar or a restaurant. You're not locked in your hotel. You can go to the supermarket and go for a walk and get a takeaway coffee. But it's uh, So there's still a few of those COVID contingencies lingering. I still, I think things may have eased because there were 11,000 at Happy Valley the other night and I couldn't work out what that meant for previous crowds through the severe lockdown. And every time I see the Shah Tin on a Sunday, everyone's masked up. And James McDonald won a race recently and he was yanking at his mask. It was so uncomfortable. What, what's the general mood of tolerance of, you know, the participants mainly who have been enduring this mask on sort of era for even though things have slackened off in most other parts of the world? Yeah, look, I, th- I get the vibe that they have. You know, it has eased here now, so the local participants are a little bit more relaxed and, I mean, they can deal with mask wearing. You know, that's, in many respects, the least of their worries. Things are opening up. They're not as restricted to their jockey and a trainer headquarters as they were several months ago. Um, and so I think they're, you know, they're pretty good now. They're pretty positive. The, the, the vibe's good. Steve, what can you describe for people like myself who only ever see Happy Valley on the TV? It looks enormous and the lights and the glitz and everything. What sort of experience can you portray to listeners about what Happy Valley is like? Yes, Simone, it's, I mean, it's one of the most spectacular race meetings you can go to. and I, I think it's largely just picture Mooney Valley surrounded by skyscrapers. That'll be in about three years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Less. Uh, might, add, might add to the atmosphere of the New Valley. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and it's such a tight, tight track. But as James McDonald said the other day, he said it doesn't ride small. There's undulations. There's various nuances to it. You know, they've got the beer garden in front of the stand, which attracts a lot of the locals and obviously tourists. That gives, it gives the impression that the place is always pumping but it's really just that skyscraper lights descending on the track that just makes it pretty special. But Chartin's special too, because Chartin is more amph- um, more panoramic. There's, you know, sort of small mountains in the background. It's a vast track. You know, it looks like Flemington going the other way, of course. Um, and the standard of the facilities at Chartin are, are brilliant. And uh, really looking forward to tomorrow, because... They've put together a pretty good meeting, given the fact that people would have still been a little bit wary about the COVID protocols. Where does the the Hong Kong International Day fit in around the world? Do you think, Steve? I mean, from a uh, our, our point of view, time wise, it suits it suits me. It's my favourite day, but I think the timing has got something to do with that. You'll get your international horses in the past, uh, whether it's England, where we've had to buy horses. Um, clearly, Japan uh, and and Australia, although the representation mightn't be as strong, you know, from our point of view this year, but certainly it has been in Japan over the last well, probably ten or fifteen years. So, in your eyes, uh, where does it fit in amongst those big carnivals around the world? Well, in terms of the buzz and in terms of wanting to attend one, it's right up there, if not number one. Is it the strongest race meeting? Um, of course, it's not, as it comes in the wake of the Breeders' Cup in the States and uh, obviously Champions Day in England and Ireland in October. But it's probably the most ecumenical. It probably draws the most diverse range of competitors. And in recent years, the Japanese have ensured that it rates very, very highly because the best of, or many of the best of their horses come. And in the 2400 metre race, you know, the the French uh, almost always ensure that at least there's one, uh, say, let's say the top five mile and a half type horses in the world running. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, we, we see a pretty legitimate high level group one racing on Sunday without claiming that any one of the four races is the best that you could possibly assemble. Um, I'm going to ask you for your, to put your tour guide hat on a little bit later. Like, there are a lot of listeners who haven't been to Hong Kong or Macau, and just to give us a, your appraisal of uh, the surrounds to the racing festival as well, uh, I remember going to a market over the, the other side of the island, which was down a, the side of a hill, which was really gorgeous. So there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to Hong Kong than just Sha Tin and Happy Valley. But just on the race card, Steve, like, there are four big international races, and Maybe I'm wrong because I, I thought the, the Hong Kong contingent looked really strong and it was going to be interesting to see what the Japanese could do. But uh, my 
people in Hong Kong uh, tell me that um, you know they're, they're not they're not super duper. So the sprint, for instance, Wellington and Lucky Swainess, and and there's a few Japanese. Well, how strong is the local contingent going to be against the the foreigners? Well, it's all they're all linked in a sense through that um, California Spangle Golden Sixty Romantic Warrior form. Um, obviously, California Spangle has uh, run second to Golden Sixty in the lead-up race. His form ties in with Romantic Warrior and even with Senor Toba, who runs in the first of the four, the bars. So it's a question of whether is that form competitive with the best of the world? Is it not? I suspect the answer is yes, Matt, only because, you know, in the past two years, Golden 60 has won the mile, but he's beaten Japanese horses who had run very well in the mile championship. So that's the same scenario this year. He's going to face a couple of Japanese horses who ran very well in that traditional lead-up race. So... I think he showed last year that he's a legitimate world-class horse with 22 wins from his 25 starts, and that means that Romantic Warrior probably is too, but he hasn't been tested yet, and he's going to have one hell of a test in this Hong Kong Cup because Pantalusser and Jack Daw are unbelievably good horses amongst the probably top half-dozen in Japan. Plus, you throw in Dan on the, Dan on the kid, um, Geoglyph Leipapali, who had no luck in the race last year, so this is a very, very strong Hong Kong Cup. All right. And just actually, I'll play a little replay because there's a horse here that I know you fell in love with and you actually, you're not afraid to make a big statement and you made a very big statement about this particular horse. And I'm, I bet the Hong Kong people are lucky that Japanese hasn't bought a horse like this out this year. Lord Canaloa's had no cover, but he cruises up on the outside, then Slade Power Regal Regiment and further back to Frederick Engels who's strung up in traffic. Awada says go now on Lord Canaloa and the favourite dashes clearing the spread. Awada up and down in the saddle, but away goes. Lord Canaloa, he's going to make it back-to-back wins in the spread. He's swan song of racing. He's waving to the crowd, Lord Canaloa. Away he goes. He's beaten... Good skill, that, for a horse to be galloping and waving at yep. the same time. And maybe that's why Steve Moran made a very big statement about Lord Canaloa. Do you, are you happy to stand by the statement you once made about Lord Canaloa, Steve? You remind me of the statement. Better than black caviar, you told me. A blasphemy. Oh. Blasphemy. <laughs> Well, no, I'm not. Well, maybe I said that, but maybe maybe it was a, maybe it was three or four red wines in. Yeah, it mm, might have been mm, a few drinks but, later. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> on the track here in Hong Kong it was incredible. They they bring him out. He dash home, you know, twenty one four for the last four hundred. Seemed to do it every morning, and we're all standing there thinking, he can't keep doing this every morning, and he can't keep doing it on Sunday afternoon. But he was the classic case of he played as he trained, and he just came out and dashed home in twenty one four again. The other thing, Steve, that I'm interested in, um, Clint Hutchison said one time that the jockeys are treated like rock stars over in Hong Kong. Is that the perception that you have as well? Are they just so revered? And the rock stars are treated like jockeys, which was quite really? bizarre. Really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I could be well off the mark here. But, yeah, um, yeah, Steve, yeah, they're, save they're, the day. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, uh, there's certainly a degree of truth in that. And, uh, and even the trainers, if you're... Uh, a Francis Loy and you produce a horse like Golden 60. I doubt Francis Loy could walk into a restaurant anywhere in Hong Kong without uh, people certainly approaching him and wanting a chat or wanting an autograph. Um, some of the low, the homegrown talent have experienced a little bit of that in recent years. Vincent Ho, I um, mean, Zach, uh, Zach would be lauded wherever he goes. And um, I think, I think there is an appreciation of the horse, the trainer and the jockey here. Um, you come to the races, no, I'm not saying whether this is a good or bad thing, but obviously children under, people under the age of 18 are not permitted on the track. So, you know, there's no face painting, there's no jumping castles. They don't worry too much about fashions on the field. They don't worry too much about the ancillary things. They're here to see the horse, the trainer, the jockey, and of course, have a bet. <laughs> it's it's an interesting place too because they are fated the way Simone said. I remember talking to Zach Purton about he and Joe Mariri can't even have a kick of a soccer ball without gathering a crowd in a park. But but Steve, there's also that hard line approach they have to any suggestion of impropriety. Uh, Chris Muntz ended up in jail. Uh, Greg Childs ended up in all sorts of trouble because of the last paragraph written in a story about race tactics on Sunline. Um, so I guess these fated say particularly the jockeys have to be extremely on their guard don't they about the people they mix with they do indeed and they're well advised about that and they're all well aware of it and they are constantly reminded and they are monitored 
You know, their activity is monitored to some degree. So you get enough heads up, you get enough advice, but you're very foolish if you um, avoid the warnings that they give you. And uh, there's simply a certain number of people, as there would be on the fringe of any racing jurisdiction, where they are told you may not deal with this person. Um, a few jockeys uh, with the COVID situation that hit during the week, but there was a bit of drama uh, with Blake Sheeney. He lost his passport. Uh, is that being worked out? Do you know, Steve? Well, he got he certainly got a temporary passport. He was due to fly yesterday. Um, I haven't heard this morning whether he's arrived safely. Let's hope he did, and let's hope he PCR tested negative. I mean, Matt, your uh, former colleague, Leo Schlink, Sunday went to the races with Greg Carpenter. They both tested positive Monday morning. They've both been locked down all week. Um, a couple of the visiting English journalists tested positive on arrival. Again, they've been locked down all week. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, been a bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, hey, just before we let you go, uh, three top things on the list of things to do in Hong Kong if you go to the international races that aren't racing related. Give us your top three. Top three. Uh, well, you certainly, I think you jump on the train and you cross the border and you go into Shenzhen. Uh, you have to organise a visa in advance, but that's definitely worth doing. Um, I would say you have to do the cliché to go to the top of Victoria Peak. And I would say the third thing you do, particularly if you've got a friend or two, jump on the MTR, spend a day on the MTR and just jump off at various stations. This, the, every when the train stops. Hong Kong, just about every little neighbourhood has its funky little bars and cafes and uh, it's really quite a vibrant city from that point of view. Um, one quick one, Matt, just before I do go, I want to mention that race nine, number one tomorrow is Bonza Perla having its first run in Hong Kong, of course, for, for David Hayes, the horse who ran so well for Kevin Corson, yeah. myriad of races, including the Australian Guineas behind a Totsu. And, of course, she becomes one of the rare females in Hong Kong. And I guess David Hayes was probably the only man that would uh, take that punt, given his success with Elegant Fashion, Fashion the men, yeah. many years ago. Absolutely. Hey, um... Back a winner for us tomorrow. Things are a little bit tight. Uh, good luck and enjoy the day tomorrow. And thanks for your time this morning, Steve. Terrific. Thanks, guys. Our Steve man Steve. in the Orient, Steve Moore. And we're going to take a break and come back with Serge Bacilli. This is RSN Cracking the Codes. We certainly are cracking the codes this Saturday morning with plenty of great racing action across the horse codes, but also tonight at the Meadows, the Silver Chief, $100,000 to the winner. And looking at the form guy, they're paying down to eighth place, which is um, really good news too because they're hard to get into these races and good for the owners and trainers to be able to walk home with something. But someone who is hoping to win another Silver Chief tonight is Serge Bacilli, who joins us now on Cracking the Codes. Good morning, Serge. Good morning. How's going? Yeah, great. Um, gee, this must bring back some memories for you. Ten years ago, when your greyhound Godsend took out the Silver Chief in 2012, and tonight you'll be hoping again triumph at probably bigger odds than Godsend. Can you believe that he jumped from the red box at Jason Thompson Train Chaser at fifteen dollars that night? Oh no, actually, it was quite interesting. Um, you know, uh, Silver Chief for me is synonymous to uh, around Christmas time. You know, because you, you sort of flow into. At that time, 10 years ago, was Christmas uh, Eve into New Year's Day. And, um, you know, God seemed, you know, we knew he had ability, but he certainly wasn't um, in the league of some of those other ones that were there. Like, um, you know, he came second in his uh, heat, and then in the semi-final, he was up against uh, a dog called Heston Bale that ran the track record the week before in 29.45. So, you know, going into that, I wasn't feeling like... Uh, well, without a chance, it was certainly uh, quite a challenge. And um, then he went on and won his semi in 30.02. Um, and we were lucky enough at the time, I was at the standing there when they were doing the box draw and hoping for box one, and, and we got it. And uh, so I thought at the time that gave him a huge chance, you know, if he used it. And so uh, I, I said to my sister and my nephews and everyone, like, you know, jump on, and he was 15 to 1. And, uh, you know, what a night it was for us, um, you know, just uh, whole family there. And, um, you know, he, he got away really nicely and used the box well and, uh, yeah, and just uh, won. And it was such an exciting feeling. Uh, it was my first ever Group 1 and, um, you know, first ever 
group success with Jason and Shona and the family and uh, you know and that was the first dog I had with Jason so it really set us off on a course of um, you know a really fantastic partnership and a fantastic friendship and um, you know like now you know uh, most of our dogs are with them um, and also my, my cousin Peter trains a few and um, yeah, so that was a, certainly a huge night for us. Well, just in case you haven't listened to the replay enough, Serge, let's take a listen again. Racing. Hutmaker and Godsend both came out smartly, showing pace was McCosker Speed, and down the outside there goes Cape Hawk. Round the first corner, Godsend, the leader, got away by three lengths, two whispering wind, then Cape Hawk on the rails was Heston Bale. Then for the back was Hutmaker, a length or so, McCosker Speed, Glen Gallon couldn't get across from the wide draw, and Soda Boy was last of all, but it's Godsend. Oh, it's ten in front in the Silver Chief. Going up on the outside, Heston Bale running on, and so too was Glen Gallon, but around the corner, Godsend wins the Silver Chief by six in a and hearing that, Serge, um, him in front by 10 lengths, I'm sure you never expected that. He was a greyhound that was certainly very, very strong, but um, wasn't always that reliable early, was he? So the fact that he was in the race so early and given his strength, it must have given you such a lot of confidence very early on. You had to do that. Um, you know, you heard in that race just now, dogs like Glenn Gallon, which was Steve Williams' dog, um, you know, Heston Bale, Cape Hawks, Soda Boy, um, you know, there's some some serious dogs in there that, um, you know, in the heats are running sensational times. And so he had to do exactly what he did. And, um, you know, when, when he was out in front like that, I, I knew, like, you know, um, look, you obviously never think you've won it until you're over the line. But, uh, you know, it was just, a, you know, as I said, an exciting time. And I never get sick of listening to it. Every so often I go back and um, listen to it um, and it still raises, you know, the hair on the back of your neck and gives you that feeling of excitement. And, um, you know, that's, that's what group racing and greyhound racing is about. It's about those times where you feel that feeling that you don't feel just in everyday life. So, um, you know, tonight for us, um, this is, you know, this time with Bill, so it'd be even more exciting if we could win it. Um, he's probably a dog that's very different to Godsend. You know, he, uh, um, you know, relies on um, coming through the field. Um, the, the poor boy's never drawn a box. You know, he's had uh, 26 starts and he's had uh, 16 of those from either box five to eight and um, never had a box one in that time. So he always has to do it the hard way. But, um, you know, uh, you know, having won at that time at 15 to one, you sort of never think you're out of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully tonight, 10 years later, it would be nice to, to repeat it. Well, you had Triumph in 20. 20- 12, and that's what you're looking at tonight. That's the name of the Greyhound Triumph. But with a kennel that have had a remarkable record in this race, they've almost made it their own in the last, you know, dozen or so years, the Thompson Kennel. Oh, yeah, look, they're, they're um, you know, elite trainers, uh, Jason and Shona, and now, the, you know, the kids coming in as well. Um, the way they look after their, their dogs and, you, you know, you walk through their kennels and you could eat off the floor. I mean, they you just know that every time you go into a race, they're prepared to the best they could be, and uh, and that's why you know every race we're in as hard as they are, and the quality of the field again tonight. Um, you, you know, you always feel like you've got a chance. Well, Serge, just to let our listeners know about some of the greyhounds that you have owned, and um, they may, may want to jump on Triumph tonight, even if he is at good odds. Um, Black Magic Opal, who actually sired Lightning Jack, the winner of the Silver Chief back in about 2017 off the top of my head. You've had Phenomenal, Bewildering, Extreme Magic, Equaliser. That's just to name a few. Um, you've had top-class dogs, and I know your brother Bill, or your cousin Bill, and you have had a, a very good relationship over many years um, with the See the Dream Syndicate. So you're talking, you know, all these top-class dogs that some people can only dream about, but um, you've been living the dream for a long time, haven't you? Oh, look, it's been, uh, you know, I've been personally in Greyhounds for over 30 years, and, um, you know, Bill came into it uh, sometime after Godsend, and, um you know, we've had a great time. Um, you know, we, we've invested a lot of money into it. Um, we've got a system that uh, relies on quality people like Jason, Shona, Peter and all the other trainers that we have. Um, Dave Pringle rearing them. Um, you know, when Karen Leake was alive, she used to rear a lot of our dogs. Kevin Mack and uh, Bonnie, you know, breaking them in. So we, we've got a, a, a system that allows us, um, all as we do really, Apart from obviously, you know, do a bit of work around the breeding and 
you know, just just getting them to the right places so that uh, it gives them the best opportunity. And um, and luckily, the people that we've had involved with us over the years have just been, you know, fantastic and at the top of their game and um, has given us and our dogs the best chance to to get into these group races. And um, you left out some home black opium, which is probably oh, our favourite. I know <laughs> definitely uh, Shona's favourite. and She was there as a, as a pet now and she's had a, a litter. Well, it's probably getting close to 12 months ago now to Bernardo. So, you know, hopefully that gives us a bit of excitement. But, um, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's been an exciting time. And, um, you know, anyone who asks me about what it's like to have a greyhound, I, I just, you know, say to them that... Uh, it is absolutely exciting and um, brings family together, brings uh, friends together and, uh, you know, just just gives you a great time. Just quickly, Serge, before we let you go, because we've run out of time, I know I'm always curious about the translation of form between Sandown and the Meadows and Triumph, the last two wins, one was at the Meadows and one was at Sandown over similar distances. What what is there? Is it hard to translate the Sandown form to the Meadows and vice versa? And if so, where, where is Triumph best suited? Uh, look, um, I think... Sometimes there's dogs that can run anywhere and then there's others that favour different tracks. Um, the Meadows is obviously a track that, um, you know, you need to rail and he, and he can rail, so he can win there. And um, But it's it's harder to come from behind at, at the Meadows. And, um, you know, so it's uh, it's always um, like you'd like to be closer to the front. So for him tonight, he um, needs to get down to the fence. That's where he wants to be. So... You know, uh, there's a lot of speed there, so if he can get to the fence early enough, and um, and you know, and there's uh, potentially a bit of a jam up there, he you know he could certainly come through on the inside. You know, you would have seen last week in the heat how he railed and just you know hugs the fence. So that's uh, it does it does suit him there. Yeah, well, you're in with a chance, one out of eight chances, Serge. So we wish you all the very best tonight in the Silver Chief Final, and um, thank you for your time on cracking the codes this morning. No worries. Thank you for having me on and thank you for bringing back some great memories. Oh, good, I love it. <laughs> good on you, Serge. Um, thanks for that, mate. Um, gee, this hour went quick. So this is what quick. we're all doing. Dan's calling me into the menu tonight. Simone's going to a Killers concert at the Mount Egerton... Mount Deneed. Mount Deneed Pony Club. Mount Deneed Estate. It's a winery, not the Pony Club. Sorry. Oh, winery. That was <laughs> oh, the draw card, wasn't it? I couldn't it? imagine the Killers playing at the Pony Club. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's right. <laughs> but, so you've got a busy day. Yeah. I Simone have. needs a date for it, by oh. the way. I don't think her husband's available. So. Um, he's, t- he's going to the Inter-Dominion tonight. Oh, Dan's calling the Inter-Dominion. I might, I'm not sure I'm, I'm 50-50, will am I? It's just a matter of if we can get there in time. It's going to be a beautiful day. So we've all got things to do. We have plenty and plenty of great racing. All right, we'll see you next week, guys. Um, we're going to take a short break and then come back with just me and Dan. We're going to get rid of Simone, and it's just going to be the boys for the next hour, Dan. And uh, we've got heaps coming up, and I'll set the scene for that in a couple of minutes' time. And as we go into the end of the Cracking the Codes and start our Saturday race day up, probably the most famous of Inter-Dominion horses. Black's a fake-led. Safari's coming at him. They draw away from smoking up and divisive. Turning Black's a fake-led. Safari trying to peg it back. Smoking up's coming. Divisive getting through. Black's a fake in front. He's seven metres clear from smoking up and divisive. Black's a fake in front. The immortal, the champion, makes it three. Black's a fake won it. Beat divisive and smoking up.